0: Hi, I'm Anoush.
2: Hello, I'm Jason. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie.
0: And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we discuss the fallout from Boris Johnson's not-quite-resignation speech. So we're recording just after the prime minister announced his resignation or not quite outside number 10. Um, and there was a, this was after a mass exodus of ministers overnight when Johnson was still insisting he'd stagger on. And after some extraordinary moments, the sacking of Michael Gove alongside a briefing calling him a snake. Nadim Sahawi appointed chancellor one day and then calling for the prime minister's resignation the next. And we're now on the third education secretary in three days. Um, in his speech, Boris Johnson said the timetable for a Tory leadership election will be announced next week and has appointed a caretaker cabinet, says he'll stay on as prime minister until a new leader is in place. But we don't know the timeline yet. Um, It was a very chippy speech. Uh, He suggested the herd instinct of Westminster politics was responsible for his departure. He called it an eccentric decision. um, And he said that he regretted that his arguments to try and persuade his party to let him stay didn't, didn't wash. But... Then he added, "Them's the breaks." Um, we know many in his party don't want him to stay on, so that's what we'll be discussing on this podcast. What actually happens next? But Jason, um, thanks for taking us taking the time to join us out of a very busy time trying to put the next magazine together. Um, what did you make of the speech when you watched it?
3: Well, hi Anish. What a what an extraordinary um, an extraordinary day or extraordinary last couple of days. Um, you know, I've been watching Westminster for a long time and. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I mean, truly remarkable. What did I think of the speech? I thought there were elements of typical Johnson there—the um, boosterism, referring back to his big mandate he won in the or the party won in the 2019 general election. You know, the support for Ukraine, references to levelling up and the vaccine rollout. But I agree with you; it was a slightly chippy speech. Sadness, suppressed anger, I think. The language was interesting. He sp- he spoke about when the herd moves, it moves. He spoke about the relentless sledging, which is an interesting term to use. In other words, the verbal abuse that he and those around him have endured in recent days. There was no sense of contrition or humility. And also there was no sense that there was any fixed time for his departure, other than he would make way when a new prime minister um, or new Tory leader and thus prime minister had been chosen. So you know it's an open-ended quasi resignation. I mean, rather, rather typical of Boris Johnson in that sense. But it's an epic day, really, and it's a an epic fall for Johnson. I mean, he won an extraordinary majority in 2019 on a on a decisive but crude pledge to get Brexit done, whatever that means, and to have squandered that opportunity that he was given in December 2019, I mean this was the job we are led to believe that he always wanted to be Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and to be leaving office in these circumstances so soon after really. Um, Johnson inhabits a kind of pre-Christian world of a pagan world really of gods and demons and he has his own kind of skewed moral worldview. but to be to be defeated in this way um, is remarkable. And if you think about it, his premiership coincided with the worst um, crisis since the Second World War, by which I mean the pandemic, you know, the first pandemic to uh, affect the United Kingdom and much of Europe for 100 years. And this coincided with his premiership. So it's been a premiership of, it, of perpetual crisis, really. And it's almost as if the gods are mocking him.
0: Well, thank you so much for sort of laying out that journey that he's been on, which, of course, we've been covering in great detail at the New Statesman for years. And as a publication, let's just say we've been sceptical, to use one of your favourite words, of his leadership. Um, And we've had some pretty sort of iconic covers. The Pinocchio nose springs to mind. And of course, in 2019, remember when he was running for the leadership, his ex-wife held up a copy of the New Statesman for photographers, um, depicting him in a cage with the headline restraining order. Um, So does it feel sort of momentous to be covering his downfall as the NS editor at the moment.
3: Yeah, it is momentous. And uh, we obviously haven't um, published our next issue of the magazine yet. That comes that comes in five or six days' time. Um, we responded quickly to the breaking story on Tuesday night. Andrew Marr wrote a brilliant and very quick cover story after he came off air having been, been doing his shoot, um, show for LBC. But Johnson's been around such a long time. You know, ever since I was a young journalist on The Times, he he was on The Telegraph, um, back then. And I was aware of a cult of personality around Boris Johnson. Um, and he's always divided opinion. There's there's a group of people who have, have been close to him and worked with him who absolutely detest him. But there's also a group of people who have been close to him and worked with him who like him and support him, as you see, even at the very end in the bunker, as every, as a house is collapsing on itself and more and more more, and more of his um, ministers are resigning. There were, nevertheless, there was still a hardcore of loyal Boris Johnson supporters. And they exist in the wider media as well in that that ecosystem of the right wing press. So he's always commanded extraordinary support, but also extraordinary hostility. You know, our our mission on the New States is always to try and understand and explain and analyse the forces in play. But Johnson is a gift to to journalists, the chaos that he creates, the, the larger than life personality. No doubt he's charismatic, he's witty. He's fluent. He lacks moral seriousness. And I think he's really struggled um, to lead. I mean, he's a very, very good campaigner, as we saw during the Brexit campaign and the 2019 general election campaign. But he really doesn't have a skill set to, to lead and particularly lead a country such as ours. So I think in many ways, his, prim- his premiership has been absolutely disastrous and in many ways, inevitable too, that it should have it should have ended in this way. But it's still an absolutely epic collapse, I think, from the position he found himself in, in December, December 2019. And no doubt we will have great fun over the next few days putting, putting the next issue of the magazine together. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Freddie, you've just come
0: over from actually outside Downing Street. What was the atmosphere like? What did you make of it all?
3: I thought it was
2: a complete farce, really. We were there in the press pen. Uh, They set out speakers so we could try and hear the speech, but the speakers didn't work. Uh, (laughs) Two minutes before... A metaphor,
1: if ever there was. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Two minutes before he began speaking, Steve Bray turned up. Steve Bray's the... uh... (laughs) Infamous (laughs) Infamous <laughs> <The> Romaniac. Infamous <laughs> protester who comes to Parliament Square with his speaker protesting uh, Brexit, but also Boris Johnson. So his speaker was blaring throughout. And then on top of that, we had booing uh, and cheers competing as a huge crowd at the bottom of Downing Street. So it wasn't exactly the serious um, reflective speech that you might have hoped. But I also think that was reflected in Johnson's speech. Um, There was, I thought, a bitterness to his speech, uh, a snide uh, feeling that I don't think will go down well at all with the uh, Conservative Parliamentary Party. Um, They'll be annoyed. There was no sense of contrition. He's almost set him up. He's drawn the battle lines for uh, the conflict between him and his MPs that's going to play out over the next few days. So I thought it was an interesting tactic to take, and I thought it spoke to the fact that he sees his premiership at least going on for three months or so. He is here to fight. As uh, Jason said earlier, he did not resign. He remains party leader. He remains prime minister. We're hoping that the leadership election will happen now and um, a new leader will come to the fore. But that's, there's a lot of time for Johnson to try and play the game, for to try and go to Ukraine again. And there's lots of things that he can do to try and bring back some of the support that he had among MPs.
0: Yeah, I think you're right to say that he sort of set up that battle with MPs that has really characterised his premiership, hasn't it? I mean, he did. He notably didn't thank his MPs or ministers. He didn't thank his cabinet, although who he did thank was the number 10 (laughs) security staff who he notably said, never leak, uh, which suggests that he, you know, he doesn't really still think he's done anything wrong. It's just that he's been found out.
2: There was certainly a fear last night among some MPs that this is Johnson's Trumpian turn. And obviously lots of other MPs dismissed that, thought it was an exaggeration. But you are seeing an emphasis on bending constitutional principles. Johnson's uh, re- repetition that he's got a mandate from the people is not only untrue, it's just not how our system works. Johnson himself is not the elected. Mandate from the people of Oxbridge and South Rice. Yeah, of course. Sorry, I don't want <laughs> to forget that. Uh,
1: 25,000. Three uh, thousand three hundred people voted for him in Oxbridge and the House of yes, So that is the size
0: of his personal mandate. mandate. And polling suggests that he would lose his seat if there was an uh, election tomorrow. Yeah,
2: so he is trying to find a route out. He's trying to find a new source of legitimacy, which I, I don't think is, I don't think will go down well with the Tory party, and I don't think it is compatible with our constitution.
0: Well, Rachel, what's going on now? Because there are new appointments to the cabinet already, aren't there? I mean, does that suggest that there will be a sort of period of this caretaker stability that some MPs have been calling for?
1: It's utterly mind-blowing, isn't it? I was on Politics Live earlier today, and while we were on the programme, we kept being interrupted to say, oh, and -and so-and-so is Education Secretary now, James Cleverly, and uh, Greg Clark is is, is Secretary of State for levelling up, and Kit Malthouse is... uh, Oh god, what is it? Duchy of Lancaster. There we go. And you're like, these are all people either who Boris Johnson sacked, uh, but but more importantly, who? Why are you taking these jobs in a in a government that is by definition a, a, a caretaker government? I think there was a sort of sense last night that uh, if if he resigned, the sensible thing to do would just be to reappoint everyone who resigned in, in protest and have that sense of continuity. But no, he's gone for fresh faces there Uh, and uh, that... Combined with various other things, like the fact that he adamantly refused to resign, all of yesterday when you were getting resignations at a rate of sort of every couple of minutes or f- five ministers resigning on one letter, which was particularly amusing, um, and the, the speeches has been discussed that had no contrition, no regrets, no admission of fault, and set himself up against the sort of herd mentality of Westminster and referred to the Conservatives' uh, eccentric decision to, to to get rid of him. All of that suggests to me that he doesn't really deep down, still think that he's going. And he didn't actually say that he, he was going. He said that, that you know, there'll be a process for a new leader. That's not quite the same thing as actually stepping down. And I think, you know, Freddie's right. Six weeks, eight weeks is a really long time in politics. Uh, look at what happened with the gate scandal that looked like it was just about to, to tip over and oust him and then suddenly Russia invades Ukraine. And I really think he is counting on something turning up that will enable him to stay in power. I don't think he's got it yet. I think he thinks he's under fire uh, and he still has to fight. Um, And the, 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 the idea that no, actually, this is the end. We might all think that. I don't think he thinks that.
0: Right. Jason, what do you think of this idea of him staying on? I mean, a lot of Conservative MPs are extremely concerned about
3: this. He, I mean, he obviously will go as Prime Minister. He won't, he, he won't um, be Prime Minister um, come the autumn. But he will try and stay on for as long as he possibly can, I think. And I think that's probably going to be another battleground. Um, a lot of Conservative MPs are very unhappy about an open-ended continuation to his premiership, um, the wait for a, a new Conservative leader to be elected. And there may even be pushes for a kind of caretaker prime minister. Some of those who have come back come to the cabinet: uh, House and James Cleverly are old loyalists; they're old allies of Boris Johnson. But obviously, Greg, Greg Clark isn't. Um, but it's um, it's an it is an extraordinary period because it wasn't officially a resignation of, of a kind that Theresa May gave um, when, when when she she stepped down. So it, it is it is typical Boris Johnson. But of course he operates outside the rules really he's always sought to create his own rules and in in many ways his own his own morality because he sees himself as a man of destiny i think he's very interested in the great man view of history and how um heroic individuals kind of drive drive historic change and that's what i that's why i referred back to his education as a classicist and his interest in in um ancient rome and 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 greece the 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 classical world um the pre-christian world that, that fascinates him so much i mean he does see himself as a as a man of destiny so for this what has happened to him now will be a source of a not incredible pain but also humiliation to be defeated in this way and to be brought down in this way i mean it is it is hubris on his part and there is a tragic dimension to johnson's fall i think and um his many detractors will be delighting, and indeed they are delighting in, in what has happened to him today, or, or indeed over recent days. But he's, he's the author of his own misfortune, there's no doubt about it. There's no point in him blaming the herd or the mob or the sledges at Westminster. I mean, jo- Boris Johnson has destroyed Boris Johnson.
0: So, who do you think could potentially replace him, Jason? I mean, we know that these rival leadership campaigns are already up and running. The latest briefing, I think, has been Jake Berry could potentially be a contender, head of the Northern Research Group. Of course, the Red Wall uh, Conservative MPs are looking for a sort of new lodestar. What do you think, Jason?
3: I think um, Sunak and Javid are well placed, having moved very quickly this week. Um, the first, the first to the first to jump ship, as it were. Um, and also they've got a very coherent view of what they want um conservatism to be i think Anush, you wrote about it in your your very good analysis of uh, was it Sunak's resignation letter yeah thank you and you know here here is here is a, a desire i think to move the conservative back to the free market um right low taxes limited government small state and i think if javid and sunak do some kind of deal and run as a run on the same ticket they could be formidable and very hard to beat i think um, despite the problems that Sunak has had in recent times, when he when he was Chancellor, other contenders is is um Ben Wallace, or will he be too damaged by staying staying in the ship for too long? Liz Truss is obviously positioning herself popular popular among the grassroots, but I think an unconvincing candidate. I think it's going to be very hard for Jeremy Hunt and you know sort of moderate centrists. Hunt, in many ways, is still seen as a Cameroon. And I think Brexit still runs through the Conservative Party in the way that appeasement ran through the Conservative Party after the Second World War and ultimately prevented someone like Rab Butler ever becoming prime minister because of the side of the argument he was on over appeasement um, before before the Second World War. And I think Brexit similarly will play a big part in... In the leadership contest, in other words, I think a Brexiteer will ultimately emerge as the next prime minister. I don't think the party will return to a liberal Remainer such as um, Jeremy Hunt, even though Hunt has positioned himself differently now and has accepted the inevitability of Brexit and all all that comes with it. So it's it's a very open race, um, but I think Javid and and Sunak are well placed actually.
0: Freddie, what are you hearing from the MPs that you're speaking to?
2: Yeah, I think um, Jason's right in that Tugendhat and Hunt. Uh, will seek to try and win support. Among the more liberal aspects of the party, uh, you'll see the One Nation caucus, for instance, basically run a primary to see who their main candidate should be. Um, And then I think Jason's also right on Sajib. I would say on that he's seen as not very charismatic at all and people are concerned that he doesn't have the communication skills uh, to... Maintain Johnson's coalition from 2019 because that's in the back of lots of uh, Tories' minds at the moment. How do we maintain this coalition? A lot of which was forged because of Brexit. Mm-hmm. So they need a leader who's able to do that. I think this is the same criticism can be applied to Sunak if Sunak wants this this sort of low tax debt management fiscal policy, then you're struggling to attract some of those northern voters who might have been won over by leveling up, for instance. So there are pitfalls in many of the, I mean, Liz Truss, uh, uh, you know, she voted for Remain, even though she's done a, a She's, she's really tried no, the, to. The, the
1: metamorphosis of, of Liz Truss from Remainer to, you know,
2: top, <laughs> hardcore, top hardcore Brexiteer, yeah. let's
1: blow up our international treaties, is it, quite
2: miraculous. It has, yeah, has been something to witness. Um,
3: but she's, she's, she, she will be seen as cut coming from the libertarian right, won't she, Liz Truss? Um, so, in that sense, I think, I think Freddie's makes a good point about holding Johnson's 2019 coalition together. I think it'd be extremely difficult for them to do so. The thing about Johnson, the reason why he was such a dangerous opponent for the left was that he didn't ultimately believe in anything. He wasn't really a, a small state, low tax, free market ideologue. He was pragmatic. He didn't mind spending money, um, didn't mind putting up taxes. He He didn't mind having a big interventionist state. Um, so in that sense, he was unpredictable and he changes his mind. He, he was flexible and he was pragmatic. And that made him, I think, particularly dangerous.
0: Yes, yes. And of course, um, it's a big question as well for the Labour Party, isn't it? Who they would most like to go up against and who they would least like to go up against. And they do insist, you know, insiders in Keir Starmer's office Insist that Rishi Sunak sort of would be a, an easy opponent. Um, but they have always said, you know, the best case scenario, not for the country, but for the Labour Party's prospects is, is Boris Johnson staggering on. So if he doesn't, you know, there, there, there is an open question there of who would be the most dangerous uh, potential candidate. Uh, contender against Keir Starmer, although we haven't heard from the Durham police yet uh, Rachel what do you think who, who would be Labour's sort of best and worst case scenario uh,
1: I think they'll probably have a lot of fun if it's Rishi Sunak uh, partly with his background uh, although we had a, uh, a feature a couple of weeks ago on how uh, Rishi Sunak's background and that of his wife actually play well with uh, Britain's Hindu-Indian community which Labour have found very difficult to, to reach and don't quite understand why uh, but putting that aside, having a a sort of billionaire wife whose tax status is a bit dodgy uh, while saying that there's no money left to do anything about the cost of living crisis, I think is uh, helpful to Labour. Uh, We haven't mentioned Zahawi here, who clearly definitely thinks of himself as a contender. Um, When the the history books write about this period of history, the fact that Johnson lost a chancellor, appointed a new one, and then the next day that chancellor is calling for him to, to go, I mean, absolutely mind boggling. Um, And that seems to have been a a strategy on Zahari's part. We were hearing reports today that actually he's been meeting with consultants and thinking about a leadership bid for some time. So clearly he thinks that this is the way to it to kind of build on his success as as vaccine minister, um, become chancellor, become a household name. And then rise to, to be leader that way. A lot of people are also talking about Penny Mordaunt. I mean, people are always talking about Penny Mordaunt. Nobody wants Penny Mordaunt to happen more than Penny Mordant does. Uh, but she is seen, there's a lot of stuff going for her. Um, the, the fact that she is a Brexiteer who was well respected in the Defence Department. And uh, even though she has been a minister in Johnson's government, uh, she's been quite distant and often critical of him. So perhaps isn't as tarnished uh, as... as some of the other people involved, although uh, I I, I often hear that she believes in herself perhaps more than anyone else believes in her. And let's not forget, if there were a clear and obvious frontrunner, we wouldn't be in this situation now because the vote of no confidence a few weeks ago would have been much better organised and directed and would have succeeded.
0: Mm, That's a really good point. So I think we will be covering the ins and outs of the Tory leadership election for many podcast episodes to come. Um, But now we have to move on to our second section. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for 12 pounds. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer, we'll be right back. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And now's time for a section we like to call
3: You Ask, you ask us. us. You Ask Us.
0: Well done, Jason. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I try. I try.
0: So, uh, our question today, thanks for writing in. Um, our listener asks uh, What part, if any, will Johnsonism play in the forthcoming Conservative leadership election and the forthcoming government, the next Prime Minister? Jason.
3: <laughs> wow. What was Johnson, Johnsonism anyway? It was it was a curious, um, curiously incoherent. I think what was it? A combination of kind of boosterism, rhetoric about leveling up, and I think Johnson was 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 at least serious in his desire to level up. Whatever whatever that ended up meaning, he had some good brains in that leveling up unit: Gove, Neil O'Brien, um, Danny Kruger, and others. Andy Haldane, former. Um, Chief Economist of the Bank of England, who's no right winger, was, was very much um, involved as well. Um, s- support for Ukraine, um, rhetoric about cutting taxes while raising taxes. So that was co- always contradictory. Johnsonism is, is really a, an ideology of many contradictions. So therefore, it's not an ideology at all. It's, it's completely incoherent. It was built around the extraordinary personality and charisma of Boris Johnson. But whoever becomes the leader of the Conservative Party, Anoush, and thus Prime Minister, will inherit an extraordinarily difficult um, situation. Cost of living crisis, about which you write so well, rising inflation, um, the threat of the war in Ukraine, you know, the worst war in Europe since the Second World War, the rise of China, and not least the fragmentation of the United Kingdom itself um Nicola sturgeon and the scottish independence movement are mobilizing for a second independence referendum um they may not get it but that won't stop them mobilizing for it and sturgeon argues very powerfully that already that she has a mandate for a second referendum well at least the snp have a mandate for a second referendum and she will keep pushing that and the kingdom is fragment as fragmented as, as i think um it's been since the second world war um Rise of English nationalism, Scottish nationalism. These these are big forces in play, and I guess what we we need more than anything else is a, is a change of style, a more serious, more sober, um, more principled, more ethical approach to to leading the country. It's been it's been hysterical, melodramatic, erratic, careless, and it's been a very dark time, I think, for the country. But whoever whoever comes next will have a, have a really difficult job, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and if there's anything that we can sort of take from Johnsonism, and you did lay out well there how sort of contradictory a kind of <laughs> an ideology it is, it is his willingness to spend money where other conservatives, particularly his own chancellor, was were reluctant to. Um, and I feel that it will be something that whoever is next um Taking charge will 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 want to move away from, but they they will struggle to do so because the public is now used to very high levels of public spending because of the response to the pandemic, and you saw that in the crash in Rishi Sunak's ratings when he announced his spring statement, which was seen as far mm. too uh, far too meagre um, for for the challenge of the cost of living crisis.
3: There was always that contradiction within Brexit itself, Anush, where you had the you had the free market right talking about a kind of buccaneering. Britain that's going to go out into the world, and an expression of mass disaffection, particularly in those Red Wall constituencies, where I think many voters were looking for protection against the forces of free market globalisation. In other words, they were looking for greater security and a sense of social cohesion, rather than a buccaneering, free market, enterprising new... Model Britain, whatever that would be, so so that in itself um, is another contradiction that will play out. I think.
1: Yeah, I think the contradictions of Brexit are absolutely crucial there because. It- Yes, it's completely right. There were sort of two very different visions of Brexit which couldn't be reconciled. And the genius of the Leave campaign was to manage to fudge the, the difference and to uh, present a very sort of Boris Johnson cakeism. I'm pro-eating it and pro-having it, uh, idea that you could... Uh, Sort of take back control and cut all your trade ties and have full uh, full sovereignty over all the things that you wanted to do, which you, you can, um, but without it making people poorer. And one of the, the things that Johnson has been very successful at is continuing to straddle those two forms of Brexit. And every time it looked like it wasn't working, blame oh, the EU or the unelected judges or the Labour Party or the Romaniacs or the technocrats or the, the, the media, us, us, it's our fault. But basically, there was always someone to blame for why Brexit wasn't able to be these two completely contradictory things. And with him gone, I don't see anyone else in the Conservative Party who would be able to do that. Now, certainly there are hard brexiteers on the free market right who are very pro this uh cutting all the red tape singapore on thames um sort of free market approach are they really go on, going to go on TV and say, this is the kind of Brexit we're having. And yes, you're all going to lose your jobs and it will make you poorer, but it won't matter because we'll have sovereignty. Is that really going to go down in, in the, the northern seats that voted for Brexit because they were concerned about immigration or because they wanted more spending on, on on the NHS? I don't think there's anyone else who's able to walk that, that tightrope at, at the moment, especially at a time of economic crisis and actually I think the delusion in the Conservative Party is that there is somebody who's able to do that and that that will will last long enough uh, to to win them the next election. Hmm.
0: And I do think those sort of high tax, higher spending elements of Johnsonism will have to continue to an extent because with that record waiting list for the NHS, for example, just one example, you, know, you can't shrink the state when you've got that going on. Yeah,
2: we have a massive ageing population. Uh, we have greater need for social security spending. These are problems that any leader who comes in has to deal with. Having said that, Um, I think we need to remember that all these potential leadership candidates are desperate to be prime minister. They won't mind if they have to spend the winter in a recession, they won't mind if they have to try and at least attempt to deal with the cost of living crisis. cabinet and some senior backbenchers have been planning for this moment for a very long time Um, they won't be put off by the problems that they face
1: why would you want it why
0: (laughs) save yourselves if you're listening which of course they all are (laughs) you've been listening to the new statesman podcast with me anusha kellyan the new statesman editor jason cowley and my colleagues rachel cunliffe and freddie hayward We're produced by Chris Stone and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. And if you want to send a question in to You Ask Us, email podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk.